0: Like that. Okay, let me pray, and then let's jump into the sermon. Father, how we come to you, and I pray that in moments like this, when the rubber meets the road, when things are stripped down, that what people will see is the Spirit of Christ in us, of meekness, of kindness, of patience, of speaking up when we need to, but also, um, long-suffering, enduring, and as we sung earlier, um, that we can await uh, a, a heavenly reality, new heavens and new earth, where we will be as one, and from the from now, from the grave until then, keep us as one, if you could, through whatever um, factors may affect us down here. Father, I pray that as we enter into the time where we study your word, you would clear our minds, you would ready our hearts, and you would help us to really ponder on the truths that you're trying to show us in your word today. Help us, Father, uh, rejuvenate us, lead us back to the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, well let's move on to our sermon and scripture reading. As I mentioned last week, that for the next four Sundays, we're gonna be taking a break from our series, the book of Acts. And instead, we're gonna be talking about four different passages in the Bible that explain to us Jesus's current ministry. In other words, we're going to be talking about four different passages in the Bible that show us what Jesus is currently doing for you and I right now from heaven. Because that's the big claim that the Bible makes, right? That Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. He resurrected. He ascended. And right now, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Doing what? tons of things. And it's really important for us Christians to know what it is that Jesus is currently doing for us because your life would not nearly be as joyful or full unless you know what it is that Jesus is doing right now. So picture jesus past ministry for you in other words his death on the cross for your sins okay imagine if that was the last winning goal of a soccer match or since i'm a tennis fan it's the last shot that rafael nadal hit this past week to win his 21st grand slam in the Australian open which has never been done by anybody i had to work that in there somehow all right it's the last it's the last shot okay it's the winning victorious shot that's what Jesus did for you back then. What he's doing for you now, in heaven, from heaven, are the celebratory benefits of that last winning shot. So imagine, you're a Spaniard, okay? And you're sitting in the stands, you're supporting the doll who represents Spain, in the Australian Open Finals. And doll is about to serve for match point and you are at the edge of your seats and he hits the serve, and then he hits the forehand, and he hits the backhand, then he goes to the net, which he never does, but he hits that volley, and he wins it, and you jump up, and you cheer, and everybody's crying even, some people were, and they are just celebrating. But then, people look around for you, and you're not in the stands anymore. You're gone. You're back in your car, driving home, And then you get home and your friend asks you, weren't you at the stadium? Why aren't you there celebrating? And your response is, well, he won anyway, so let's just carry on with life. A lot of the reason of why our Christian walks feel dry and not celebratory is because we treat Jesus' last winning shot like that. We say, well, He won on the cross, so let's just, you know, get on with it. And we're missing out on the current celebratory benefits of that last winning shot. So here's my hope. As we enter into what might be a rather dry and discouraging month with yet another COVID spike, I thought it might be good for us to just take a peek into the heavenly stadium, if you would, just for a little bit and see what's going on up there. What benefits do we actually have from Christ today because he won that last winning shot? And the first gospel benefit that I wanted to talk about today is the fact that because of the cross, because Jesus won, we now, Christian, have an eternal high priest. That's the first benefit I want to talk about. Okay, what does that mean? Well, if you turn with me to our text today from Hebrews chapter 7, verse 20 to 28, this is the word of God. And it was not because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sin and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Thus says the Lord. Okay, so because of the cross, because of that last winning shot, Jesus today is and forever will be your high priest. First, what that means. Second, how long it lasts. Third, what it looks like. And fourth, who it represents. Okay, four things. What that means for Jesus to be your high priest, how long it lasts, what it looks like, and who it represents. First, what does that mean that Jesus is your high priest? Take a look at verses 20 to 21 with me. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one, speaking about Jesus, was made a priest with an oath. Now, we'll talk about the oath stuff later. For now, all I wanted to point out is how this verse tells us that if we want to know what it means for Jesus to be our high priest, we've got to compare it with what priests did in the Old Testament. That's what our verse tells us, right? It compares those who formerly became priests with Jesus, who are currently our high priest, okay? Let's do that. What did priests in the Old Testament do? A lot of things, but mainly their job description involved two things. They had to represent the people to God, and they also had to represent God to the people, okay? So when Jesus here is our high priest, that means that he's currently in in heaven representing us to the Father. One day, I was dropping Elena, my oldest uh, daughter, uh, at school. And at her school, there's this area where there's like a window you can kind of look in to this place where all the kids kind of sit down and wait to be taken into their classroom. And, And one day, Elena looked over and she saw my head wobbling, you know, with all the other parent heads trying to look at their kids who are sitting there in the chair. And I saw her see me. And immediately... I proceeded to do the most dad thing imaginable. I started playing uh, hand puppets with my hand. I don't know why. It's dad reflexes. That's just what we do. So I did this as she's looking at me, trying to make her laugh, thinking that it was funny. But as soon as she saw me do it, she immediately closed her eyes, looked down, and I think she said, oh, my goodness, from her mouth, (laughs) This is in front of all of the parents, mind you, right? So she's seeing me do this in front of all of her friends and all of the parents looking at me going, what is that guy doing? And she's embarrassed. But why is she embarrassed? She's not the one doing the hand puppets, quite skillfully if I may add. (laughs) I was the one doing the hand puppets. Why is she embarrassed? Because I represent her. In a very real way, she knows that when her friends see me, they see her. Friends, Jesus at this very moment is representing us to the Father. That means when the Father looks at Jesus, he sees you. And when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. And thankfully, he's not up there doing hand puppets. What is he doing? John Calvin puts it so well. He said, Jesus is turning the Father's eyes to his own righteousness instead of to our sins. That's what he's doing right now. He's turning the Father's eyes to his own righteousness instead of our sins. You know what you look like right now to the Father? you look like the righteousness of Jesus. Now, how long will this representation last? How long will he do this for us? Because usually, if you are a representative in a law firm or if you're an ambassador representing a country, there's an end date to the contract, right? How long will we look like Jesus to the Father? Let's go on to our next point. And this is where the oath stuff comes in. Look at verse 20 to 21, okay? I'll read it again. For those who formerly became priests in the Old Testament were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath, okay? So back then, when people were appointed as priests in the Old Testament, there was no oath made by God like how long this role will last, okay? God didn't hand them a contract and say, look, if in three years this doesn't work out, at least you've got some field experience, no. like. Once you're a priest in the Old Testament, you're a priest until you die. I think there are a total of 78 priests if you count priests and high priests together. There're 78 of them because they would die and they'll get replaced, no doubt they will get replaced. But for this priest verse 21 says, speaking about Jesus, God did make an oath. There was a timeline, there was a contract. Where did God do that? In Psalm chapter 110, verse 4, and you don't have to turn there in your Bibles because the author of Hebrew, the writer of this text, very helpfully puts it, the reference there in the passage. That's the indented part of verse 21. See, there's an indented part there. That's Psalm 110, verse 4, where the author is telling us that for this high priest, Jesus, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest for how long? How long's a the contract? Forever let that sink in, you will look like Jesus to the Father forever. Why, verse 24 says, because Jesus continues forever. He lives forever. This is mind-blowing. In order for you to not look like Jesus to the Father, somebody would have to drag Jesus down from the heaven right now back into the grave. And that's not gonna happen. Not even the powers of hell can do that, the Bible says. And because he lives forever, you will forever be represented by him and you will forever look like Jesus to the Father. That's bizarre. Now, think about what this means for you, not just eternally, but right now, today. This means, Christian, that there is no millisecond of your life on earth today where you don't look like Jesus the Father. Think about how crazy that is. Not even, not even during your darkest moments. Not even when that old sin comes up and flares itself again. Not even in the depths of your anxiety and depression. How do you think about Jesus' attitude toward that dark pocket of your life that only you know? A Christian author once wrote the overdependence upon alcohol the lost temper time and time again the shady business about your finances the people pleasing that looks like niceness but you know is actually the fear of man the stored up resentment that burst out in subtle gossip the habitual use of pornography how does the ascended Jesus today feel about me in those dark moments? Is he embarrassed of me? Is he resentful of me? Will he stick around? Will he represent me still? His answer, forever. Forever. And it's as if the word forever didn't really quite capture the full essence of it to where the author switch words in verse 25 and says, to the uttermost. And then again, Always. People keep asking me, where in the Bible do you see that you can't lose your salvation? I mean, the second you accepted the work of Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, from then on out, there will be no millisecond of your life in which the Father won't be as pleased of you as He is of Jesus because he represents you forever to the uttermost, always. Let that sink in. Okay. The next question is, that's addressed here in the passage, if Jesus represents me forever, what then does this representation look like? Okay, what is he actually doing up there as he points the Father to his own righteousness and not to our sin? What what are the actions that he's doing? Is he jumping around saying, look at me, don't look at them? Well, let's move on to point three, what it looks like. Look at verse 25. Consequently, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. There you go. That's your answer. Jesus, right now, this is what it looks like. As your representative, he is making intercession for you. Okay, what does that mean, Intercession. In short, it means prayer. Like earlier, we did the prayer of intercession. He's interceding. He's praying for us. So when you first wake up in the morning and you do your 15 minutes obligatory Instagram scroll, Jesus is praying for you to the Father. As you stumble your way to the kitchen, dodging your kids, trying to get to the coffee, Jesus is praying for you to the Father. When you're interacting with your colleagues at work, choosing the words to best express how crushed your heart feels because of this never-ending pandemic and the implications it has for your job. Jesus is praying for you to the Father. When you come back home after a long day and trying to make your three-year-old and five-year-old eat dinner peacefully at the table, and you're this close from losing it. Jesus is praying for you to the Father. During the last hours before bed, when you're choosing what content to absorb with what device, Jesus, at that moment, is praying for you to the Father. And long after you've sunk into your bed, dead to the world, Jesus is still up, and he's praying for you to the Father. Right now, as you sit here listening to me, he's praying for you to the Father. And what's he saying in those prayers to the Father? Where there's a lot of speculation here, but most commentaries agree that the best example we have of it is Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. If you go to John 17, you'll see Jesus praying to the Father on our behalf before he died on the cross. That's the closest example we have to uh, uh, what a high priestly prayer looks like. What's he saying there? Well, a few things, you can read it on your own later, but he said, Father, they have eternal life because they're in me. Father, I will keep them and I'll never let them go. Father, I'm guarding them and I will not lose one of them. Father, I've consecrated myself for their sake. And we can't go through them all right now, but here's the point I wanted to make about the high priestly prayer Jesus prayed in John 17. Notice the tone I encourage you to read it later and meditate on it. In John 17, the tone of Jesus' high priestly prayer is a tone of finality. It's done. He wasn't begging the Father to forgive you. He is claiming the forgiveness that's already yours, and that's exactly what he's doing right now. He's claiming it. In your darkest hours, Jesus is up there saying, They have eternal life in me. When you're falling into sin, Jesus is saying, I will never let them go. They will never be lost. I have consecrated myself for their sake. He's not up there anxious, worried for you. No, no. Why not? How can he be so confident? We'll look at verse 27. He has no need like those Old Testament high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, anxiously. Why? Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself on the cross. The reason why he's not anxiously begging for you is because he's already paid the price for your eternal well-being. And friends, you don't beg for something you've purchased. You claim it. And that's what he's doing right now. He is claiming your eternal well-being that he's purchased on the cross. In your darkest hours, he's praying to the Father, saying, they're mine. It's done. I will never let them go. Forever to the uttermost, always. Dane Ortland in his book that I quoted last week, Gentle and Lowly, good book. Again, I encourage you to buy it and read it. He puts it so profoundly. He said, and imagine this. Use, use the imaginations of your heart. On the cross, Jesus did what he now talks about. And right now in the present, Jesus talks about what he then did. You seeing that? Back then on the cross, Jesus did what he now talks about, and now he's talking about to the Father what he then did. Imagine having live access to what Jesus is saying about you right now to the Father. Imagine having given a magical Spotify playlist by God, and you put it on, and you walk around your life hearing what it is Jesus is right now currently saying about you to the Father. Like background music. How would those words change the way you feel about yourself? after you fell into singing again, you lost a huge client, how would those words change the way you date? How would those words affect your uncontrollable burst of anger? How would it change the way you're worshiping right now? How would it change the way you prioritize your finances? How would it change what you post on social media? how would it change your relationship with the weighing scale and the mirror? As you hear him say over and over and over again, she is perfect. He is mine. They are beloved forever. Or maybe some of us would like to choose not to hear it at all. We would put that playlist aside, and there's a bit of that in me too, if I'm honest, because it's tiring, you know? Who wants to hear someone beg on your behalf all day long? Feels a bit defeating, you know? If God the Father needs all that convincing to accept me, then just forget about it, you know? Why are we even doing this? Well, let's go to our last point as we clarify that perspective to encourage us to put that playlist on, okay, who Jesus, Jesus' prayers represent. Remember, there's two jobs a priest has, not just to represent the people to God, but to represent God to the people. How does God represent the Father right now? How does Jesus represent the Father right now to us? If I ask a lot of you right now, how do you think Jesus feels about you? Most of you would probably say, Jesus loves me, of course. But if I ask, how do you think God the Father feels about you right now? That's less of a certain answer, I think, for a lot of people, right? Because it's often portrayed, Jesus is the loving, sacrificial one, and the Father is the angry one that Jesus needs to calm down, right? What's that song? Um, Your blood has washed away my sin, Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath, Completely satisfied. Jesus thank him. The Father is this wrathful figure, and Jesus is the one saying, don't hurt them. And that's a great song. We're going to sing it again. It's theologically correct. But passages like this remind us that that's not the complete picture. Look at verse 28. I think that's the last verse there. For the law, back in the Old Testament, appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The word of oath appoints a son. Let me ask you, why didn't the author of this passage say that the word of oath appoints Jesus? Why did it say that the word of oath appoints a son? What do you think the author is trying to emphasize with that phrase? You know, when there's a mention of a son, usually what comes to mind is a father. What's the most popular Bible verse known in Christendom right now on earth? John 3.16, okay, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And the love of the son often gets a lot of attention there in John 3.16, which is correct, it's not wrong. But think about it again. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Whose love is actually being highlighted there? For God so loved the world that he sent appointed with the word on oath, His only Son." It's God the Father's love for you. He pointed His Son. So the picture here in this passage isn't the Father up there, you know, being held back by Jesus who's begging on your behalf. No. The Father right now is basking in His own glory as the Son proclaims to Him over And over and over again about how this whole cross idea was his to begin with. (laughs) And the Father's glorified in it. That's what's going on. So when we enter into our dark place yet again, when the filth of our hearts come out yet again, it pleases the Father, it glorifies the Father for Jesus to say, behold your patience. Behold your grace. Behold your mercy and the word of your oath that has provided a cross for these people. When Jesus is saying that, he's not going against the grain of the Father. He's going with the Father. And that's why you don't throw in the towel, Christian. That's why you keep going. That's how you know you'll never be lost. Because the Holy Trinity is basking in His own glory with every smile that he showers down upon you, even in your sin. (laughs) And if there's anything in life you can bank on, it's the fact that the triune God will never stop glorifying himself, which means he'll never stop smiling upon you because that smile glorifies himself. That's what you bank on. Do you know why your soul is tired even after your body's rested? You know what I mean? You know the kind of tiredness I'm talking about? Do you know why that is? It's because a lot of us are still living our lives trying to earn that smile. A lot of us are at church right now trying to earn that smile. Don't come here to earn that smile. You can't. Come here because that smile is yours. You don't need to fight your sin to earn that smile. Fight because it's yours. You don't need to excel at work and do excellently to earn that smile. Do it because it's yours. Don't serve other people to earn that smile. It's yours. And you don't need to throw in the towel when you fail. Keep going. Why? Because you haven't lost that smile. You never will. Forever. To the uttermost. Always. That's what's happening right now. If you pull back the curtain of heaven. This is one of the benefits of the cross. Would you celebrate it? Just peek in a little bit. Don't just witness the winning shot. And then go home. Celebrate for a moment. Allow yourself to sink back in that stadium chair in disbelief that you've won. And enjoy the benefits of the victory that he's won for you. The Father's smile, which is yours forever. Let's pray. Father, what an unbelievable truth that even right now as we sit here with imperfect motives, as I preach with imperfect motives, as anxiety and the sins of this week still plague around in our heads and our hearts, as we're so close to throwing in the towel, you hold our heads back up to see what Christ is doing and he's praying for us, he's interceding for us, he's representing us, saying that he'll never let us go, that we can't be too far lost, and that it glorifies you, the Father, for him to keep us in his arms, and for you to smile down upon us. We thank you that you've included us in this act of your self-glory, that we've been a part of it, and that we can always rest in it. Help us, Father, take this truth, use a Spirit to bring it down into our hearts, and let it affect our emotions, let it affect our actions, let it affect our perceptions as we carry on with our lives, with that magical Spotify playlist in our ears, as we hear what it is you're claiming to the Father right now on our behalf. Thank you, Jesus. In your name alone, we pray. Amen.